Well, it's good for us to be together here in the West Auditorium, in the East Auditorium, and those worshiping online as well as in Lovington. If you are uh, newer in any of those locations, uh, my name is Brian. I have the privilege of getting a look at God's Word with you today, uh, which I would invite you to, to do that by turning to Matthew chapter 25 in a Bible. Uh, and uh, as you do that, just a heads up for uh, not only where we're heading today, but in the weekends ahead, uh, this weekend actually marks the first weekend of Pastor Wayne's sabbatical, where he's going to take a number of weeks, you could say zooming out from the day-to-day -day ministry to really focus in and give attention to where our church's ministry is going uh, in the days ahead. And so uh, for the next couple of weeks here, what we're going to be looking at specifically is looking at, kind of maybe pun intended at the screens, looking at uh, the screens that we view much of the world through, that namely our, our smartphones and the other various devices that uh, now uh, more than ever has been the source of content and communication, and we know that that can be for better or for worse. And so we're going to take a couple of weeks and look at what does God's word have to say with this intersection of content and communication that we consume through our screens uh, in a two-week series entitled Redeem the Screen. And so we'll look forward to uh, looking at that in the next couple of weeks. And then following that, we jump into our at the movies series, where our goal in that is simply to reflect really how Jesus did much of his teaching through contemporary stories of his day. We're taking modern day stories, modern day movies, and uh, really looking at, uh, you could say modern day parables is kind of another word for the stories that Jesus used, to really see how God's truth can be illuminated through story in our lives. And so we look forward to starting that as well. And so as we do that, today actually we're going to look at such a story. We're going to look at a parable of Jesus that illuminates really some responses to a question that I have received, I would say arguably more in the last six months than in every other month of ministry combined up into the last months. And that is simply the question, hey, Brian, pastor, do you think that this is the end times? Do you think we're living in the end times? Do you believe that Jesus is about to return? And if so, uh, we might say relative to this series that we're talking about recalculating our lives towards God's uh, direction, uh, how might we recalculate our lives in anticipation of Jesus' return? And so when it comes to this question, you know, is this the end times with everything that's going on? You know, Jesus actually addresses this pretty specifically in Matthew chapter 24 and our passage today, Matthew 25. Uh, in the passage uh, leading up to what we're going to look at, he gives all throughout chapter 24 these, you could say these clues, uh, these signs that we can be expecting, these hints that Jesus returned, that the end times might be imminent. In fact, to that question, you know, is this the end times? It was actually a, a question specifically that Jesus' original disciples asked him. You know, when, when is this all going to happen? In Matthew chapter 24, verse 3, it says, As Jesus was sitting on the Mount of Olives, it says that the disciples, they came to him privately and they said, Tell us, they said, when will this happen? And what will be the sign of your coming and the end of the age? Tell us, Jesus, when are you going to come? And when are the end times going to start to take place? 
And then pretty much throughout Matthew 24, Jesus gives all these signs. He really responds with all these, these clues as to what you can expect. He says there's going to be all kinds of religious deception. There's going to be, he says, wars and rumors of wars, famines, natural disasters. Uh, there's going to be people who are abandoning their faith as well as those who are pressing all the more into their faith, uh, persevering through persecution and even to the point of martyrdom, giving their life for Christ. To which Jesus concludes all uh, of those clues to the, you know, the, the, the big question, okay, so, so when? You know, Jesus, when is this going to happen? When are we going to know it's going to actually take place? And so I'm going to give you the response that Jesus gives his disciples and thus us at the, uh, towards the end of Matthew 24. He says, but about the day or hour, Jesus says, no one knows. No one knows, not even the angels in heaven, nor the son, Jesus himself, he says, but only the father. Only the father knows when this time will come to date on an actual date in a calendar. And so, so you might ask, okay, so why does Jesus give us all these clues, these hints, these signs that we should be looking for in the world? Um, you know, the idea of famines and wars and religious deception, because I think if we're just real honest with each other, we might say, okay, come on, Brian, like there is nothing especially unique about any of those attributes in our time today that hasn't happened over series and seasons of life over the last 2,000 years since Jesus comes. We've had seasons and history where there's been wars and rumors of wars and people leaving the faith and sticking it out in their face. So what, what is it that Jesus is trying to tell us in all these signs if it's not going to tell us exactly when Jesus is going to return? And so this is where it gets really important because this is what Jesus is trying to tell us. He's saying that the point of these signs, the point of these, uh, these clues is not to, as some have, as we can tell, anyone who's predicted the exact time of Jesus' return has so far failed, uh, if you've ever heard something like that. The point is not to predict the exact time of Jesus' return, but what Jesus describes in Matthew 24, 8 as birth pains. That these painful events that we see in our world and throughout history, they really are to serve as, you could say, reminders, alarm bells, cautions that we do in fact, A, live in a fallen world, we live in a fallen world, that B, Jesus will in fact return to make all the fallenness and the wrongs right, to call those who have experienced Christ, who have received Christ into the full experience of eternal life with them. And then you could say, C, the whole point, Jesus says, so be watchful, Jesus says in Matthew 24, 42. He says, be expectant. He says it this way. He says, therefore, keep watch. Keep watch because you do not know on what day the Lord will come. And so, in short, yes, Jesus will return. No, we don't know when. Uh, but yes, you'd better be ready. You'd better be ready. And being ready, that is what our passage in Matthew 24, or excuse me, Matthew 25 that we're going to look at today, uh, when it comes to the end times, that's what it's all about. It's all about being ready. Okay? So let's do this. Let's, let's read the whole thing, and then uh, what we'll do is we'll kind of work our way back to that passage. But I want the story to kind of just stand in and of itself without me interrupting it. Uh, so we're going to read Matthew chapter 25, verses 1 through 13, to get the story, this parable of what Jesus is trying to teach us all. All right, Jesus says it this way. It says to his disciples, he says, at that time, talking about when Jesus returns, the end times, he says, at that time, the kingdom of heaven will be like 
10 virgins who took their lamps and went out to meet the bridegroom. Five of them were foolish and five were wise. The foolish ones, they took their lamps, but they did not take any oil with them. The wise ones, however, they took oil in jars along with their lamps. The bridegroom, he was a long time in coming, and so they all became drowsy and fell asleep. But at midnight, the crowd, or excuse me, the cry rang out, here is the bridegroom, come out to meet him. And then all the virgins woke up and trimmed their lamps. The foolish ones said to the wise, give us some of your oil, our lamps are about to go out. No, they replied, there may not be enough for both us and you. Instead, go to those who sell oil and buy some for yourselves. But while they were on their way to buy the oil, the bridegroom arrived. The bridegroom arrived. The virgins who were ready went in with him to the wedding banquet and the door was shut. Later, the others also came and said, Lord, Lord, they said, open the door for us. But he replied, truly I tell you, I don't know you. Therefore, Jesus says, keep watch because you do not know the day nor the hour. All right, well, let's, let's work our way back through this passage again and discover the realizations, the ahas, the surprises that we are to discover as readers and hearers of the story of Jesus. And so verse one again, it says, at that time when Jesus returns, the kingdom of heaven will be like 10 virgins who took their lamps and went out to meet uh, the bridegroom. Now, what we see here taking place is really this illustration of really a wedding and a reception. This is, what, this is the setting that Jesus is painting in their day. And a wedding and reception back in Jesus' times was uh, a good bit different than what we experience uh, in our day. Like for us, you know, if you're going to go to a wedding and a reception, you know, it's kind of like an all-day deal typically on a Saturday, right? It's like you just block out the whole day. Don't make any plans. It's, it's your whole day. Well, in Bible times, the newlyweds would actually, instead of going on a honeymoon, they didn't do honeymoons back then, but they would actually hold really receptions for a week or two following the wedding. Like two weeks of receptions with people coming into the house and all this stuff. And I'll just be honest, you know, I love my family and my friends just as much as the next groom. But if I'm honest, just having my in-laws drop us off at the airport the morning after was plenty of uh, extended family time, if you know what I mean. And so uh, in those times, the custom was that the groom would actually invite friends and family and then, you know, to the newlyweds home day after day for the course of several meals over the course of that week or two to celebrate. And so these virgins in the story, really, uh, you'll see them translated in other Bibles uh, or other translations as bridesmaids. Really, these are bridesmaids. These are the gals who are not yet married. They are the ones who, in our current time, uh, at, a, at a particular reception, they kind of go all, these gals go all Hunger Games style on one another, trying to catch that bouquet that the, that the bride has thrown over her shoulder so that they can somehow like superstitiously, you know, seal their fate as the next one to be in her shoes, to be married off. And so uh, for the understanding of this parable, this is what Jesus is painting for us. He's saying that the bridegroom, or more simply the groom, we're talking about Jesus. We're talking about Jesus. He is the groom or the bridegroom in the story. And then these 10 virgins or the 10 bridesmaids, if you will, uh, who are kind of waiting and ready, they are the Christians. They are those who, uh, you could say of us, who claim to follow Jesus, 
who are you know, waiting and ready uh, to really accept the invitation to the party, to the celebration of what uh, really ultimately is talking about heaven itself. Okay, so that's, that's us in the story. All right, let's pick it back up. So at that time, the kingdom of heaven will be like 10 virgins who took their lamps and went out to meet the bridegroom, verse two. It says, five of them were foolish and five were wise. It says that the foolish ones, they took their lamps, but they did not take any oil with them, oil to light the lamps. While the wise ones, however, they took oil in jars along with their lamps. And so the first realization that we are to understand from this parable, from this story of Jesus, is that there is, you could say, a difference between looking ready and being ready. There is a difference. There is a difference between looking ready and actually being ready. Anyone who's ever witnessed five-year-olds play uh, t-ball knows exactly what this means. Um, For us, our boys, they've been playing ball for years. And uh, if I'm honest, uh, even though it's kind of neat to see them, you know, improve and hone their skills and fielding and hitting and all this stuff, fine, whatever. My favorite year of baseball to date is still that very first year where, uh, you know, and it's whether it's coaches pitch or t-ball, depending on what community you're in. And what cracks me up about like little league ball is that for whatever reason, it's like the younger the kids are, the bigger the crowds. You know, it's like as they get older, people seem to care less. But those first little five-year-old games, I mean, people turn out in droves. The noise is like that of a stadium. It's unbelievable to watch uh, that, those big first games for those little kids. And I remember coaching that age. And as I'm coaching these little guys, I remember that the one instruction that I would give over and over and over and over again uh, was this, just this idea of the difference between being ready and looking ready and the idea of being ready was in this phrase over and over in the field. This is me and uh, our son Camden about, I don't know, eight or nine years ago. And I'm, yeah, I know I'm saying to him, Camden, down and ready. Down and ready. It's the phrase that you say to little ones all the time because they're not ready. They're thinking about a million other things, you know. Uh, down and ready. They, they look ready. You know, they got their nice little brand new ball caps and their jerseys. Their, their pants are still maybe white, you know, if they haven't already messed them up somehow. Uh, you know, they got their brand new ball glove. I actually remember doing coach's pitch. I remember a kid literally walking up to the plate, peeling the cellophane off of his bat before his very first at bat. All these kids right out of the gate. I mean, they look ready to play baseball. They're all dressed and ready. However actually being ready to catch a baseball? Different story. You know, they might have been ready to doodle some, you know, pictures in the dirt or pick a dandelion, but actually down and ready to field a baseball? I think we found that at that age, some were, but some were not. And the truth is, that's the same with these bridesmaids. We see that all of them, they they looked ready. They looked ready. They were all dressed and ready for the reception. Every single one of them had a lamp to light their way to the party with the bridegroom when he came. But we see that only half of the team, half of the bridesmaids were actually down and ready. Only half of them had the oil necessary to actually light their lamps, to light their way to the party, to the wedding reception. And so if we, If you, if we 
claim, if we profess that we are Christians, if we are bridesmaids or fellows, if you want to be groomsmen, I think that's fine. I think that liberty is okay. It makes me feel better. Maybe it makes you feel better. If we are kind of part of Jesus' wedding party, his reception, the question we have to ask ourselves is, are you actually ready? Are you down and ready? Are you actually ready if Jesus were to return? Well, let's keep rolling in our verse to find out. Verse five, says the bridegroom, he says he was, I was actually, he was a long time in coming, 2,000 years we might say. And so they all became drowsy and fell asleep. A long time in coming. And so we might ask ourselves, do we actively still believe that Jesus could come at any moment, as Jesus says in another story, like a thief in the night? Or are we, you know, kind of metaphorically, are we kind of just parked in left field, picking dandelions, thinking... And no five-year-old's ever going to hit it this far. Uh, you know, you have Jesus, you know, he's not going to actually return anytime soon. Well, look out. Because uh, keep watch, as Jesus says, because the five-year-old that looks like a 14-year-old has just stepped up to bat, and it's gonna, he's going to crank one our way. Verse 6, here we go. It says, at midnight, the cry rang out. Here is the bridegroom. Come out to meet him. So then all the virgins woke up, and they trimmed their lamps. And the foolish ones... They said to the wise, can, can you give us some of your oil? Our lamps are going out. No, they replied. There may not be enough for both us and you. Instead, go to those who sell oil and buy some for yourselves. Which brings us to our second realization. Our second realization is that there are some things in life and faith that you just cannot borrow. There are some things in life and in faith that you just cannot borrow. You know, the foolish bridesmaids, you know, again, they looked ready, they had their lamp in hand, uh, but they didn't actually have the oil, they didn't have the oil to actually, you could say, fuel the fire, fuel the faith that they supposedly had in the bridegroom coming. When they asked, can we have someone else's oil? So when they asked the wise ones, can we have some of you? The answer is clearly no, because you cannot borrow someone else's oil. You need to have your own oil, your own faith. And I, and I wonder, I wonder how many of us have almost, I would say unknowingly, maybe just not even caught on to the fact that maybe we have drifted. Maybe we once were in the wise category, but maybe drifted into being in the foolish category. I wonder how many of us have foolishly fallen prey to the idea that we could somehow borrow borrow faith, whether we borrow our faith and our devotion to Jesus by, uh, you know, something that, you know, maybe, maybe we're borrowing from something that once was, but is no longer. Maybe oil that has like these five foolish ones that the oil has run out and we didn't even realize it. I think I've witnessed this in conversations I've had with people uh, who they describe their devotion to their faith in the past tense. Uh, more times than not, it'll be something along the lines of, you know, oh, yeah, 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 I'm a Christian. I used to. I, I used to go to church regularly. Or, yeah, yeah, no, I'm a Christian. I was, I was baptized when I was, you know, such and such years old. Or, yeah, I'm, I'm a Christian. I, I went, you know, forward uh, at, that, at that camp or that rally or that church service. Or, yeah, yeah, no, I'm, I'm a Christian. I'm, I'm actually, I'm on the membership rolls over at such and such a church. Or even further removed, I've heard, oh yeah, I'm a Christian. My parents or my grandparents are members at such and such 
a church. And if your understanding of following Jesus is rooted and tied only to something that was once or used to be past tense, and, uh, or even maybe further removed again, somehow tied to someone else's present tense, someone else's oil, if you will, instead of what you are currently, presently, actually doing, well, then you may look dressed and ready to play, but are you actually down and ready? You see, Christian, a follower of Jesus, as really our mission of our church understands uh, this summed up, is really this idea that we are to be developing. It's a verb. We develop into devoted followers of Jesus Christ as we grow together and we serve together. Uh, that we realize that a devoted follower of Jesus is not a box you check and move on from. It is actually a direction you are heading. That to say you are a follower of Jesus, a Christian, a follower of Jesus, would suggest then that you are actually following Jesus. That you are obeying him. That you are following him. And I would say that one concern of late that I have in this regard uh, really comes to our current times as the church, which interestingly Jesus describes as his bride. If he's the groom, the church is his bride. And so as the church, Jesus is our better half, if you will. And in a recent survey of the church, uh, it actually surveyed churchgoers uh, in the month of May who um, you could say despite an initial spike, as with this whole COVID and quarantine thing started, there was actually an initial spike in online uh, attendance of churches and things like that because people were kind of curious as to how that would play out. By the month of May, 48% of churchgoers reported not attending any church, either online or in person, in the previous four weeks. And so that was in May. And the statistics continue to trend downward. Uh, that it's kind of four weeks in counting for many. And you might say, okay, why is that? Why is the participation in the church, uh, this, this, this kind of fuel for our faith, why is that declining? And um, I get it. I think if we're honest, there's, there's challenges. You know, it's a challenge to do what we're doing right now, to kind of mask up and come in, kind of this strange experience of, of kind of anti sort of greeting, but not really greeting, and we're sitting all distanced together. You know, online has its own challenges of its own. If you have kids and you've tried to do that, uh, you know, at home, it's like, yeah, good, good luck with that. Uh, or just maybe it's just the fatigue of screens in general. You know, if you come off a week of work where much of your work now is maybe, you know, over screens or now kids, a lot of you are having to stare at screens for school. And so just kind of the screen fatigue. Uh, or might we just say just if you can call it competition, you know, the competition that maybe we face with our screen time to be devoted to worship versus a, maybe a slightly more entertaining version on Netflix. And so there's all kinds of reasons and challenges to uh, why this might be happening. But to be honest, our commitment, uh, at kind of by and large as the church to our regular participation in church, I'll be honest, is not new statistically with COVID. This has been a downward trend uh, for, for really the last couple of decades when it comes to our understanding of the role that this has and the, the, the things that we do outside of the space as a church as it plays into our understanding of what our faith is. More and more people are becoming less and less comfortable or less and less convinced that this is essential to what it means for us to be devoted followers of Jesus Christ. But let me offer a caution in that regard uh, that comes straight from scripture, from the writer of Hebrews. He says it this way. 
Hebrews 10, 24 through 25, it says, let us as the church, he's writing to the church, he says, let us consider how we might, as the church, spur one another on toward love and good deeds. And he says it this way, verse 25, he says, not, now everybody say not, not, not. everybody in East Auditorium online say not, yeah. not, Thanks for the West for just making sure I can still hear y'all in here and can't participate even though you're not at home. He says, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing. Or we might say not giving up meeting together as 48%, nearly 50% are in now the habit of doing. But instead, encouraging one another Encouraging one another and all the, de- excuse me, all the more as you see the day approaching. And you'll notice in that verse there, the capital D, what day is the writer of Hebrews talking about? He's talking about the day that we're talking about. The day when Christ returns. The day when we need to be down and ready. The day when we have to have oil in our lamps and oil for our lamps. The day, Hebrews 10.25, when we have the result of having not given up meeting together. Or some of you have been around church for a long time. I remember the King James Version on this. It says that we not forsake the assembling of ourselves together. Now, don't. You know, it's easy for the preacher to talk about how important it is, I guess, for people to be in church. And so I get that participation and engagement with one another in the church, it is not the only measure or contributing factor of our devotion to Jesus. It's not the only one, but may we not miss that it is a key. It is certainly a key contributor both to and indicator of our devotion to and our following of Jesus. And I find it very interesting to me that as we study these passages and observe the current practices of church goers and that five out of every 10 aren't actually going to church, the, you know, those who have forsaken the assembling of ourselves together, I find it interesting that five in 10, that it's five out of every 10 bridesmaids actually that were without oil, that were without the fuel that fuels their lamp, that fuels the fire of their faith and their devotion to Jesus Christ. And so I think just at a real pragmatic level, we see how this happens. Just honestly, like think about any healthy habit that you have in your life, you know, whether uh, it's the effects of maybe poor eating over, you know, several weeks or not exercising over several weeks, or maybe, you know, the neglect of important relationships with your spouse, or your kids or uh, friends over the course of a number of weeks. You don't notice it immediately. But then when, you know, you kind of realize you end up in a space and a place that you don't want to be in and you think oh how did I get here and then you kind of retrace your steps back a number of weeks or months or maybe even years you realize it's really not a surprise how I got here over the course of several weeks or months and so for us when it comes to this idea of participation in church you kind of there's a little bit of like okay the pot calling the kettle black like you know Brian hey we're here you know, we're in the room, so it's like, is this really a message for us? Or we're at home, we're online, we're, 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 we're game on, we've been participating. So maybe this isn't a message specifically for you this day, but maybe it's a caution for the temptation you might face in the days ahead. 
Maybe this is a message that you know, God is uh, you know, really urging you to, to share this with someone else, to email it, to send it, to send the link, uh, to forward now, to participate in the next service. Hey, you need to hear this because you know that friend or that family member has you know, forsaken the assembling of us together. Maybe it's uh, a message that really for you, it's to take that, maybe that next step. You realize, you know, I've been here, you know, participating online or on the weekends here and there, uh, but I need to take that next step to be more really connected beyond just, you know, looking at a screen, that we really want to uh, step into growing and serving together. Um, and to really help you with that end, we're actually going to start some new, kind of where we take the large setting and get smaller, we're going to start some new small groups with our At The Movie series, where you can, you know, if you're not sure what that's like or what that would be like, uh, we have kind of like a four-week trial run where you can kind of test drive what it's like to really get into a little bit of smaller group, whether that's, we're going to do these digitally and in person, kind of wherever your needs are at, and so I'd encourage you to take that next step, you know, beyond maybe just an hour viewing a screen and really get to do some life together with uh, some other people. Uh, maybe this is a message for parents who it's like, you know, you know, I've been participating, but I've kind of given up on the kids side of things because it's hard, you know, to get our kids rallied around another screen to participate in what they have offered for our first kids online uh, or, or getting your kids to student life. You know, parents, you know, we started that up here this week, uh, every Sunday, 430 to 6. And this is a reminder for how important community is to, to teenagers and to students and to make sure we want the right community and the right things being inputted in their life. So maybe it's a, a commitment to make sure that they're uh, regularly here each uh, Sunday evening. That's, you know, ultimately on you parents uh, to make that call, uh, to really, to make sure that whether for ourselves or someone we need to communicate with, our future selves, or even our own kids, that we not give up meeting together as it is so easy to get in the habit of doing, but instead continue to spur one another on to the goodness of what it means to rally around our faith, to fuel our faith, to have oil for our lamps uh, by the, the, the assembling of ourselves together in all of these settings, okay? And so, all right, we see in this parable these, these uh, realizations that there is a difference, a difference between looking ready and actually being ready and then with that, we realize when it comes to being ready, there are some things you just cannot borrow. No one can follow Jesus for you or you can't do it based on something you once did. It is something that is active and now to which we then step into our third realization that Jesus wants us to see, really arguably the point of the parable when it comes to the end times. And that is this, the third realization. At some point, it is too late. At some point, it is too late. Verse 10. It says, but while the foolish ones, while they were on their way to go buy the oil, the bridegroom, he arrived. And the virgins who were ready, they went in with him to the wedding banquet, and the door was shut. Later, the others, they did come, but Lord, Lord, they said, open the door for us. But he replied, truly, I tell you, I don't know you. And so the whole point of the parable, verse 13, therefore, Jesus warns, keep watch, be ready because you do not know the day nor the hour. Those in the East Auditorium in our first kids family friendly space, uh, you all have these little sheets to kind of help you pay attention when I'm all over the place. And the last question on your little deal there is a true or false question. And so we can all answer this, true or false. The bridegroom let in the unprepared bridesmaids. False. False, false. At some point, 
God's word, the words of Jesus, says it at some point, it is too late, and too late is a terrible verdict. But the good news is, today is not too late. It's not too late today because here we are, here we sit, and we have that opportunity to make that commitment, to reactivate our faith that maybe has gone stale, to maybe decide for the first time that you want to step into this relationship with the groom, if you want to say it as the church, to really step into what God has for you. Not just an eternal life someday, but an eternal life that starts here and now that, yes, is fully realized someday when he returns or we get to heaven, whichever comes first, but that we, in fact, have that opportunity to step into a new life, a new way following him today and so if that's where you are at I would say you know before you leave this building if you're here catch me before you go or if it's more comfortable we actually have a way you can just text me uh, text us text the church to our church phone number 217-875-3350 if you just text the word Jesus then that would be the trigger to get that conversation started uh, to kind of find out more of what does that look like and we'd encourage you to not wait until it's too late because today it's not too late Because here's what happens. It's so interesting. The same writer of Hebrews who in his concern that we not give up meeting together in chapter three of that, that, he says it this way. He says, see to it, brothers. When he talks about this drift. He says, see to it, brothers and sisters, that none of you has an, excuse me, a sinful, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God. Okay, when you read that verse, here's the reality. No one wakes up one day and says, you know what, today, I think I'm gonna have a sinful, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God. Yep, that's gonna be my day today. And no one does that. No one wakes up. It is, as we've said, it is the result, that, that end is the result of weeks and potentially months of the oil in your lamp's fire running low. It is weeks and months of being just disconnected from praying, disconnected from God's word, disconnected from growing together in our devotion to Christ, disconnected from serving together for the sake of his work here on the planet. It is the constant and you could say cumulative effect of forsaking uh, the assembling of ourselves together to which we then come to a result of we have not been assembling and we have forsaken our growing together, our serving together, our gathering together to hear God's word and to respond to God's word both in song and in looking at it together. It is the result. It is the accumulative effect of all of those things. And so with that, may I pray for us all as we continue to grow or to even decide what it means for us to walk with Christ to commit to Christ, to light our lamps, and to be down and ready. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we're thankful that you have shown us how we do not have to have the answers or uh, get into all the nitty-gritty of exactly how it's all going to play out when it comes to your return, but that we do know that the action required on our part is the same regardless, and that is to make sure we are ready, that we have accepted uh, a relationship with you through Jesus Christ, uh, both in this life and for all of eternity. And so, Father, I pray that for anyone who needs to make that decision, that they would step into that reactivation of the faith or, or, or maybe an initial activation of their faith and their trust in you and to, and to step into that space um, as an encouragement to be committed. And for those who are committed, may your return be an encouragement to 
the committed that you will in fact return. And that is something that we can anticipate, look forward to knowing that you will make every wrong right. That is, it says in Revelation that you will wipe away every tear and that all will be made new again. And so may we all come to that same conclusion, taking the next steps necessary uh, to be ready, uh, to have oil for our lamps, not in our own strength, but only as the grace and the gift and the power of your Holy Spirit. It's in Jesus' name we ask it. Amen.